Baptist Church and of our campus in Lexington, Kentucky. It is our prayer that as you listen today, you will be encouraged, challenged, and equipped to be all God has for you. We invite you to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 11 o'clock a.m. at our Todd's Road campus near the Hamburg area of Lexington. in seminary teaching or helping teach uh, biblical Hebrew and biblical Greek, I learned about a pedagogical skill called scaffolding. Uh, On your first day of biblical Hebrew, you don't learn about the nifal stem. In your first day of uh, biblical Greek, you don't learn about the aorist participle. You learn things like, what's a verb? This is is the thing we can't just assume we all know, right? We're going to start with uh, verb as an action word. Uh, And then we're going to get real comfortable with that, and we're going to learn about the basic call verbs in Hebrew. We're going to do it for a week, and then we're going to set it aside, and the next week we're going to learn about nouns. And then a couple weeks later, we're going to come back to verbs. Now we're going to say they're a little more complicated than that. You know, uh, so we've got the verbs that we're all really comfortable with now, but uh, they can do a few different things. Now they can go past tense. And so we're going to teach them how to look at the biblical Hebrew and understand if it's past tense or present tense. Uh, and then we're going to kind of move on to infinitives and give them a little time. And then we're going to come back to verbs. And we're going to say not only can they be past tense and present tense, they can be future tense. And so we're going to scaffold and not try to get everything all at once, right? This is how we learn. It's a good, uh, the educators are shaking their heads. This is solid uh, pedagogical ground. Uh, it's, it's what we try to do with some of these times where we're preaching through a certain book of the Bible. So we've been preaching through the book of Romans, and we're scaffolding a little bit. We can't recount the whole book every week, can we? If we uh, tried to cover all the major themes every week with all the background every week, it would be a fascinating lecture. I don't think y'all would keep coming back, though, because by the end of the series, it would be a two-hour sermon, and I like to hear myself talk, but not even I want to hear myself talk for that long. And so we have to—that was was an aggressive amen back there uh, from Darren— well, shucks. Um, it's, it's true, so it's fair. Um, I don't want to hear myself talk that long, neither do you. But sometimes we have to circle back to where we were. We're in an important part of the book of Romans. We're in a part that if we forget about the stuff from our first weeks, it's going to begin to feel confusing. In the book of Romans, we need to call back to the question of who, who is Paul talking to? And we talked for the first few weeks about two distinct groups, the strong and the weak. Does anybody remember who the strong Christians were in Rome? Gentiles. Okay, Betty Jo said it, and I could read her lips too, so I'm positive she said it. So the Jewish Christians in Rome were the strong ones in Paul's world, which means that the weak ones were the Jewish ones? Is that what I heard? The Jewish Christians in Rome are the, uh, the weak party in this uh, church conflict. We have uh, con- conflicting groups who've experienced uh, kind of recent Christianity in different ways. The uh, Gentile Christians have had it great. They've been living it up in Rome. They've been expanding in numbers. They've uh, had comfort and ease. While the Jewish Christians have been exiled out of Rome... Uh, by the emperor, been sent back away out of here, 
disappear, and they've just been allowed to come back. So they've been away from home, they've been away from their uh, assets, they've been away uh, from everything. And they come back in uh, to the cool kids in town who think they're in charge of the church. And there's this great conflict between them because the Jews recognize that they're part of an ongoing legacy of God's work. They know that they are in continuity with Abraham, with Moses, with David, with the prophets. They know that Yahweh uh, is the same God who took on flesh in Jesus. And they also know how they lived. They knew what it was to be righteous. And they knew that for their nation's whole history, uh, you followed the law to be righteous. And so even though they knew Jesus had uh, offered them forgiveness, they are telling these strong Gentile Christians, you need uh, to practice circumcision and eating kosher. And the Jewish, or the Gentile Christians are like, nah, we're in charge, uh, and just dismiss them out of hand. And so we now have this conflict that goes on throughout the book, and Paul addresses in different ways. He has uh, been making a beautiful case up to this point for uh, the Jewish and Gentile Christians to live together, that uh, as the basis of Abraham's story, uh, when he believed that God would do what God said he would do, it was credited to him as righteousness. So before there was law, Abraham was considered righteous because he believed God. Then he's going to go down and he's going to paint another picture that uh, even if we don't have the Abraham vision of kind of a, a broader welcome to God's uh, presence, we have Christ. That Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. We say this every week in our confession and pardon, but it's straight out of Romans that uh, we did nothing to earn God's favor uh, on our actions of doing good works, whatever they look like, whether that's uh, Gentile uh, kind of acts of mercy or whether it's uh, the best Torah obedience. Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. And so Paul has been inviting them together uh, to unite their hearts and minds as the church in Rome, to to suffer together as the world groans, as things are painful, as they look around and go, things aren't great. Jesus hasn't come back yet. And it's hard. You need to be a community because uh, you surely recognize that even though sin has been defeated, it is still warring in your life, right? He, he's telling them, uh, you know, I know what I want to do, but my body doesn't do it. And he is inviting them into unity. And then we get to this week's text, which makes a, a fairly substantial pivot. Because up to this point, we are doing what most of Scripture does, which is addressing those who are within the community of faith, right? Law was not for the whole world back in the Old Testament. Law was for Israel. And quite frankly, most of what Jesus teaches us, uh, uh, the law of grace and mercy, is for the church. How the, the way we are to behave is for the church, not for uh, those outside of the church. And so Paul is just continuing this nice little trail of talking to the church, until today's text, Paul makes a dramatic pivot away from talking about the Jewish Christians to talking about the non-Christian Jews. If we're not careful, we, we make a, a, a move here that we miss. Paul is no longer talking specifically about those Jews who have become Christians. He, he's been celebrating them the whole time. Jews, Gentiles, doesn't matter, Christians, yay. Now he turns to what could be almost a psalm of lament. The text that we read today um, 
Romans 9, 1 through 5, has no happy ending. And last week I preached about how we got to stop just having a happy ending every week, right? How we got to be able to come in our pain and our sorrow and our tears. All week I have wanted to steal Jake's sermon from next week. He gets the good part. He gets the uh, resolution note at the end of the song. Uh, Two weeks from now, we get a beautiful picture of Paul's going to explain what he's wrestling with in this imagery of a grafted olive grove where Jew and Gentile are pulled together and God's expansive love blossoms in the olive trees. But this week, he just groans. I would walk away from the faith if Israel could have faith. Look at all these people who are my family who don't know the love of Christ. Oh, what I would do for them, the heirs of the covenant, the ones who have experienced God's glory. He lists like five things in here that he uh, sees in them. They're heirs of the promise. They're God's children. They are, sometimes you think you're really good at marking up your text and then you just lose it. They are uh, the covenants, the giving of the law, the worship, the promise. This all belongs to them. They are the heirs of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and they have missed Jesus. On my first reading of the text, uh, I uh, misread this text dramatically, um, and I felt like he was lamenting um, something that God had chosen to do. At first reading, it felt like he was saying, I can't believe God has abandoned Israel. I can't believe God has left them behind. I'm really glad I read Jake's text for next week and the material that comes in between them and the one for the week after that, because what he's actually doing is he's lamenting that they have missed it. That despite God's grace and despite all the goodness that surrounds them, they have just missed it about Jesus. Next week, we get to talk about the expansive love of God that welcomes those who take a while to get it. This week, the lectionary just lets us sit with his woe. I've sat with enough of you to know that uh, many of you have woe for those you love who have missed the love of God. It might be a child who has walked away from, uh, from faith might be a sibling who uh, was raised the exact same way you did and uh, you just don't know what's going on. It might be that coworker who you have just wondered all these years, uh, why why do they not get it? I want to button it up in a neat, nice package this week for you, but the, the text doesn't do that. Actually, I think the text this week celebrates that we should be wounded when those we love don't know the love of Christ. I'm going to be really careful uh, to own a lot of what I want to say today. And we've talked about the marks of holiness uh, a couple times in this series, too. We've scaffolded those, and we've talked about uh, Christians who are formed in scriptural holiness grow in the love of God and the love of neighbor. They practice the means of grace. They uh, live a life of justice and mercy. They demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit, uh, and then they are invitational and multiplicative. They invite people into uh, Christ's uh, kingdom, and then they disciple others. Your pastoral team has failed at equipping you to be invitational and to help disciple other people. 
We're really good about Bible studies, and I think we're really good about designing worship that allows us to glorify God. We're, we're pretty good at offering serve opportunities for mercy and justice. We're pretty good about uh, inviting you into some kind of interior reflection so that you are uh, growing in virtue and you demonstrate the fruits of the Spirit. We have recognized that we have not done a good job equipping you to groan for those who have missed the love of God. It's a mark of our holiness that uh, Quite honestly, we don't know how to equip you yet. We were literally trying to figure out uh, as we, it's like we're building the, what is it, you build the runway as you land the plane or build the runway, whatever, you, I'm not good with that. But uh, we, we, we have recognized that we have failed. Each one of us should leave here this week and groan like Paul. There is somebody or some group in your life who has not known the love of Christ. Uh, we should be so transformed by the love of Christ that we cannot believe that this other person has not experienced it. This is not about uh, that cosmic fire insurance where we want them to know Jesus' love just so they don't uh, have this final outcome. This is about where we are uh, overflowing with joy and thanksgiving with the fruits of the Spirit because we have known Christ's love and we want it for those around us. This isn't some manipulative family or some manipulative relationship where uh, you're trying to get something out of somebody. Instead, it's you wanting the best for them. Friends, my prayer this week is that we become a groaning people. People who, like Paul, would do anything for those that we love to know Christ's love. That's the sermon. Come back next week for Jake to give you an encouraging word. A lot of you came back this week, and uh, we haven't seen you from vacation, and we've, we've missed to get some time together, and you come this week, and the, the invitation is to groan. <laughs> Lament and experience sorrow. Recognize that if you're not grieving or groaning or experiencing sorrow, ask God to break your heart for the people who are breaking his heart. Ask God to show you those that, that you might become invitational with, that you might share the love of Christ in a way that isn't transactional. So go and groan, friends. Amen? God, you might know, uh, you do know better than any of us what it is to uh, love someone and for them to not love you back. Lord, we often pray, break our heart for what breaks yours. Lord, break our heart for those who break yours. Give us a discomfort in our very insides that won't uh, be easily shaken. Lord, uh, excite our hearts for our life in the kingdom of heaven that we might uh, desire to go to, uh, to the house next door or to the cubicle across the hall. That we might uh, not be able to do anything but share your love. Lord, we're uh, incredibly grateful that uh, when our love failed, your love remained steadfast. That no matter uh, how far our friends or family have gone from you, uh, you are waiting there with arms wide open. 
The Lord hear our groans. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen and amen.